couple of times I've spoken, as one was about uh, spiritual gifts, other out of that was about the new creation versus the flesh, and today there is a spur off those subjects which are connected, and I want to talk about comparing ourselves, because it's the human nature of all people, basically, to compare ourselves to others. And we do it in all sorts of ways. We do it, there's different areas we, we compare ourselves sometimes with appearances. It's a lot to do with personality here, but we, we compare ourselves to others over our appearance, our manner of speech, how others recognise us, what our job is, or how successful our job is, what positions we have. Um, we can we compare our opinions to other opinions because the description that the Bible gives of us as sheep is very, very accurate because we do tend to follow those with strong opinions. So we compare our opinions and get wishy-washy about stuff. I'm not talking about just Christianity, I'm talking about mankind, basically. And we compare our actions to others' actions, how they respond in different circumstances. And there's all sorts of ways you would be aware of many. Why do we do this? You know, this is the thing, why? And basically, it comes down to our desire for acceptance by others and our insecurities. And that is the nature of the flesh. Because there's no... Um, there is no surety in the flesh. I think deep inside of everyone, no matter what they profess, there is a fear of death. And there is no security there. There's no security in the life of the world. There's only these possessions, and that's why they're set up as a measures of success, and why, the, why, as in the world, we are continually comparing ourselves to each other to measure how well we're going and to fend off the thought of death and a accounting because we focus on these things. Now, in Christians, some of these things are carried over and they're things that we need to be aware of and deal with because, as I said, this is a new creation. Those things have no power, but they are a conditioning if, if you, because we're living amongst the world and the world does have an influence upon us, if we do not have a strong relationship with Christ, then the world's influence will affect us more than the influence of Christ. And so it's, we have to be very, very careful of how immersed we are in the world. Whereas often said, we are called to be in it, but not of it. And so, but. Because, especially if you, if you were not born into a Christian family and had that advantage of uh, finding out these things early, if you come to it late, as many do, you've got, you know, I had, I don't know, 30-something years of conditioning and training by the world for habits and reactions and all sort of stuff. And those things sink deep hooks in. And you don't even know they're there. They're just reactions and attitudes and things like this that you do to survive in the world. 
And when you become a born-again Christian, then those the power of those things over you is broken. But part of us sort of doesn't recognise that. And those things can still influence. So the Lord brings them up in our lives for us to deal with, and we need to deal with them. And we, we also find as Christians that... Um, our comfort zone, perhaps, where we are comfortable in our Christian lives affects um, our function as Christians. So, as Christians, what do we often compare ourselves with? Because we have recognised that the things of the world are not worthy to measure our lives against because we have been called to a higher calling and, and higher standards and a totally different reality even though we're still in the flesh but we have been called to a different thing as Christians we can compare ourselves to other people's ministries we can compare ourselves to what recognition or position someone else has in the fellowship how many friends they've got amongst the fellowship their popularity and we can compare our relationship with God to others' relationship with God. And it's a dangerous, dangerous thing to do as a Christian because there's all sorts of destructive results can occur there. So if you, um, you know, often you'll think, oh, here's this guy, he's a wonderful teacher, I'm no good, I'm not good at that, and I'm probably not a very good Christian, or here's a guy, look at the healing that God uses him for, and you know, I can never do that, and you know, he's probably because he's somehow more righteous than me. It's a spiral that, if you start along that track, can drive you down. So, if we're comparing ourselves to other ministries, have a look in First Corinthians chapter twelve. What other Christians do? First Corinthians chapter twelve, verses four to eleven. This is scripture I've used in the last, I think the first thing I spoke about with spiritual gifts, you read there, and there are differences of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are differences of ministries, yet the same Lord, and there are differences of workings, but the same God is working all things and all, and to each one is given the showing forth of the spirit to our prophet. For though the spirit is given to one a word of wisdom, and to another a word of knowledge, according to the same spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, and to another workings of powers, and to another prophecy, and to another discerning spirits, and to another kinds of languages, and to another interpretation of languages. But the one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing separately to each as he wills. So you cannot compare yourself to anyone else's ministry. It is a wrong thing to do, because you're basically saying it, that, well, why has God given them that and given me this? I, it does say to eagerly pursue the greater gifts. However, that, is, that pursuit has to be of the right heart and the right attitude, not for one of self-promotion. When you're looking at trying to compare yourself to some other Christian and what they're doing in their Christian life, it's trying to compare apples and oranges. 
totally different basis, totally different frame of reference because God deals with every individual as exactly that, his individual creation. And he has a specific purpose for you. And so to compare yourself to someone else and is, is going to breed dissatisfaction because it's of the flesh, this comparison thing. And the Lord uses you individually in the way that he has chosen to do. It is dependent upon how willing we are to surrender to him. He's willing to use us. Are we willing to surrender and to what degree? And that will affect how effective you are in your Christian life. As I've said before, you might have the best ministry of making cups of tea that the Christian world has ever seen. And it is just a pleasure for people to come and spend time with you because you radiate this peace that you have with God. You haven't raised anyone from the dead. You have not uh, spoken prophetic words that have changed the course of the nation. You have faithfully served in something small and because you know you're serving the Lord and people are drawn to you because they see Jesus in you. And so to compare yourself to someone else is a pitfall because God uses our personalities. When you're born again, he doesn't just reboot you, wipe everything clean. They write, now, new creation, new personality. It doesn't work like that. He uses what he created, but he holds the new creation to a higher standard than the old, and the expectations and values have changed. And so we're not clones. It would be very easy for God to make us all the same and all obedient and all to follow his word as robotic clones. But where would be the life in that? The life is in his creation. All he's done is taken that creation from the kingdom of darkness, brought us through to the kingdom of light, and says, now we're going to work on the rest of your life until I get you to where I want you to be, and then you'll die. Brilliant, isn't it? God's continually doing that and when he finally succeeds in our lives we'll die because his work in us is finished. Awesome! You know, and the greater you can surrender, then the quicker you will be with him in many cases. Wouldn't that be, it doesn't always work like that because he has such a great deal of work for some people. They live to a ripe old age. <coughs> but there's, he completes the work that he has for you if you will allow him. And that work may last for... <coughs> Excuse me. May last for five years. May last for seventy-five years. Um, so we don't know that. All we need to know is that submit ourselves to God, be satisfied with the life that He leads us to, and give as much as we possibly can to Him in that life. So don't compare yourself to anyone else. It's just a, someone else's ministry that may appear flashy. You look at the number of men and women that have been admired by Christians, especially over the last few decades, since the 1940s, that have had great ministries, and you're thinking, oh, I wish I could be like them, and then it has revealed to the world that they have been caught in immorality or embezzlement or ungodly behaviour that has brought shame. Do you then envy them? and wish you could be like them. Because that's happened so often. Thanks. And 
So to admire men is fine, but to start placing them above Jesus for a start, and also even above yourself, is a foolish thing to do, because God hasn't done that. There is no one better or greater person in the kingdom of God than the other except Christ. He is the head of all, and he is the one that we look to to see where what we should compare ourselves to. And that's a pretty high bar. So ministries are often fragile things. And to be discontent or jealous because of someone else's appearance of success is very shaky ground. And I said another thing, area of recognition. Um, often we will think, oh, he gets so much more attention, or people know him so much better, or um, it's just it's not fair. I, I, I've worked really hard and no one recognises me for it. Um, it's a thing that the human nature, the old nature, wants to be patted on the back, wants to be recognised for what they have done, um, and that is, and that's a thing that can lead to a, a bitter path. There is a difference between that and receiving encouragement, true godly encouragement. But recognition, Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, sorry, always get Dougal and Jemima flashing to my mind as soon as I see that name. You lot of you won't get that reference. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came near him, along with her sons, worshipping and asking something from him. He said to her, What do you desire? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your kingdom. But answering, Jesus said, Do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup which I am about to drink and to be baptised with the baptism with which I am to be baptised? They said to him, We are able. And he said to them, Indeed, you shall drink my cup, and you shall be baptised with the baptism with which I am baptised. But to sit off my right hand and off my left hand is not mine to give, but to those for whom it was prepared by my father. And hearing, the ten were indignant about the two brothers. For having called them, Jesus said, You know that the rulers of the nations exercise lordship over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. But it will not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your servant. Pretty clear. There is no place in the, in the true Christian world, in Christ's church, his true church, for those that want recognition of themselves at all those that wish to push people in a direction or that the servant heart has to come alive in a leader because otherwise you end up with a despot or a manipulator or a just a guy that's just bullying people into doing what he wants because he's out of his depth and leading God's people away from where they're meant to be 
The servant heart must come to the fourth, and so recognition is not a part of the servant heart. The servant will deflect recognition. It's just, you know, I've, I've said this before, that if you pray for someone for healing and they are healed miraculously, their tendency is to say, oh, you're, you're great, you're wonderful, and go and tell someone, hey, Mike healed me. Right? And that's just our human nature. And it's trying to give recognition to the person and their faithfulness. It's probably done in the right intent, but it is a wrong statement. Because in that situation, I couldn't, I couldn't heal anything. God healed them. And if you're giving testimony of something that has happened to you like that, then leave the person out of it. Because if that person that God uses is a true servant heart, he does not want his name mentioned. What he wants to hear is, I have been blessed. The Lord used someone to heal me. Keep the person out of it. Because you're not trying to promote them as a healer or for a ministry. So, uh, as I've told you before, um, years ago, this is the stupidity of it, but it's like Christians do it too. Marie had some change from a, something she'd bought and she'd, oh, they said, oh, we'll give you some scratches or we'll give us a scratch, you know, things years. And she scratches in the shop, there's $10,000. Hmm? Great. We had people coming out to get Marie to scratch these cards for them. <laughs> But that's, that's the whole thing. We do that in the Christian way. Someone has prayed and you know that they've healed them, and, and they may be able to heal you too, but we tend to go and say, here, you do this. We leave God out of the equation. Will you heal me? And just watch it, because once you start recognising a person as the source of God's power, then you have insulted God and lessened the sacrifice on the cross and replaced Christ with a man. So just be careful. It is good to, to encourage people in their ministries, but do it in a manner that is true, not in a manner that is, is going to puff up and destroy. In James 3.13 it says, Who is wise and knowing among you? Let him show his works by his good behaviour in the meekness of wisdom. This is the whole drive that we are taught. When great power is given to you, use it with both a humble and a meek heart and don't seek the adoration of men, but rather deflect their attention to the one whose power that truly is. So with ministries and recognition, be careful. Don't go down that path. Be satisfied with what you have. If you don't, then it'll lead you down a path of dissatisfaction and envy. Because you'll be looking at people and thinking, I should have that. I've been a Christian for 50 years. And look at him. Been a Christian five minutes and he's praying for people and they're healed. And, oh well, you'll soon get over that when he gets a dose of reality. Yeah, I've heard that statement from Christians. Oh yeah, well wait till he gets a dose of reality. You won't be so enthusiastic. No, okay. And, but that's just, that's because of disillusionment in a Christian life. You don't realise if you've been a Christian for 50 years, then most likely you have served faithfully 
And God hasn't used you for starry things, but he wanted a faithful and true heart. And you don't know how many people you have influenced along the way. With just your faithfulness, a small kindness here, a small word there. There was no rockets went off, no chorus of angels crying hallelujah. There was just a guy said, oh yeah. But 15 years later, after you have perhaps given that word or after you had perhaps taken some irritating child in children's church, they give testimony of how they remembered something that was said to them and how it led them to salvation. And if we are looking for results to be feel good about our Christian life, then we are doomed to disappointment. We're not meant to be looking for those results. We're meant to be looking at Christ for where our next step is meant to take us. We're not stacking up a goal score so we can say, huh, five nil. Okay, I've got five. How many you got, mate? It's not like that. Serve faithfully, quietly. If God wants you to do something starry, believe me, if you've got a willing heart, you'll do something starry. But it could be the destruction of you. So be careful what you, I want to say wish for, be careful what you pray for. Because fame and power can wreck many people, Christians included. We've seen that in ministries. Men and women that started off faithful and true and then their ministry gathered momentum and people started telling them how wonderful they were and all this thing and slowly it corrupted them until their fall was great. So be careful what you pray for because it can be a double-edged sword. But dissatisfaction and envy, if you do go along this path of not being happy with your lot, thinking that somehow God has shortchanged you because you've been so faithful and so wonderful over so many years and he sort of hasn't recognised you enough in a fellowship or hasn't recognised you enough in the eyes of the uh, world. James chapter 3. James chapter 3 verses 14 to 18 read, But if you have bitter jealousy and contention in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This is not the wisdom coming down from above, but is earthy, earthly, beastly and devilish. For where jealousy and contention are, there is confusion, confusion and every foul deed. But the wisdom from above is firstly truly pure, then peaceable, forbearing, yielding, full of mercy and good fruits, not partial and not pretended. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace for the ones making peace. Even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if you do not want to be a servant, but rather want recognition, it will lead you to dissatisfaction, and that will find contention and jealousy to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It will poison you, and it will poison others around you, because it's a bitter, bitter root. And it weaves, bitterness is a weird thing. You can, it weaves its way through you and will pop up in the most unusual circumstances a year, five years, ten years later, because you've allowed it to grow 
and it's like, it's like um, paspalum. Very hard to get rid of. Goes all over the show underground and is not seen and just pops up in the most unexpected place. And the only one that can, can succeed, you can't, far from when you've got those, those types of weeds, if you rip them out and you've got the parable that tells us about this, you rip them out, you'll, you'll rip out the good with the bad. We can't do it because it's all interweaving. We've allowed it to interweave our Christian lives. The only one that can successfully remove this type of thing from us is Christ. And that means going to him in repentance with a humble heart and a humble attitude, recognising how we've allowed bitterness or jealousy into our lives and asking him to heal. Only way we'll get it out. We can't do it. It's just too intertwined once we let it get a grip. And so we need the attitude of a servant, not the attitude of a star. So how would God like our minds to be set? Have a look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Well, this is Paul speaking about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 to 5. Let a man think of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Because the truth is, if you're a born-again Christian, let's pause there for a moment, if you're a born-again Christian, you are a minister of Christ and a steward of his word. And there are responsibilities that go with that. Because, you know, it's, uh, the first scripture we used back in Corinthians said to each one is given the showing forth of the Spirit. That is a minister, that is a gift. Well, we're all ministers and stewards stewards of God. Now, all of us could make the statement that Paul's been just said. Let a man think of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We can all say that. But there is a responsibility that goes with being a steward of the word of God, and that is to teach it and speak it in truth. And unfortunately in the Christian world, that is often not the case. Flaky doctrine, all sorts of weird stuff, posing and being presented as the word of God. You will stand accountable for that. You might get away with it for your human life, but you will stand accountable before Christ for the mishandling and distortion of his word. Verse 2, Moreover, it is sought among stewards that one be found faithful. But to me it is a small thing that I should be judged by you or by a man's day, but neither do I judge myself. For I know nothing of myself, but I have not been justified by this. But he judging me is the Lord. Then do not judge anything before the time until the Lord comes, who will both shed light on the hidden things of darkness and will reveal the counsels of the heart. And then praise will be to each one from God. You've got it fairly well summed up there what I was trying to say. To me it is a small thing that I should be judged by you, or by a man's day, but neither do I judge myself. And this is where we come to the comparing, back to the comparing thing. Because I judge myself as inadequate. Not meant to. You know, there is a difference between this and asking God to reveal things in you that he wishes to deal with. 
I knew someone a few years ago that decided to go on an eternal search to see if they were a worthy enough Christian and nearly destroyed themselves in doing so on an eternal witch hunt. Because as soon as you start looking, you'll find stuff. But that's not what Christ sees. We can look into ourselves and look into our minds and our thoughts and the flesh and all this sort of thing, and we'll find, all find stuff that's wrong. But what does Christ see? The desire, he's the reader of hearts. So our heart is towards him. The other stuff is stuff he will deal with as through our lives as he is completing the work that he started. We don't need to go in there to dig stuff up to help him. Oh Lord, you overlooked this one. He hasn't overlooked anything. He knows every thought, every action, every wrongness, everything. And has he turned away from us? No. While we were worse, while we were unrepentant sinners, dead in our sins, he loved us enough to die for us. How much more now we have turned to him. So he's not going to condemn us. He doesn't want us going on an eternal witch hunt. He wants us to fix his eyes, fix our eyes on him. And in doing so, he'll bring these things up when, as and when he wishes to deal with them because then they will be dealt with totally and effectively. So there's a huge danger on going in an internal witch hunt trying to clean your own act up, because you will end up, um, it'll be like me trying to do some cleaning on a computer. I'd end up wiping the whole program and lose everything. Hmm? So that's the danger of what we would lose. We end up just, just so confused and, and throwing away stuff that we shouldn't and raising stuff that we shouldn't because we're such complicated beings and our heart is so untrustworthy and our perceptions often see through our worldly vision. And it's totally different from going to God in prayer and asking him to show you. That's a great thing to do. Lord, show me. And then just shut up and listen. You know, he will make it clear. If he says nothing, carry on with your day. But it's a good prayer to have every morning. Lord, show me any wrongness in my heart and help me to overcome it. Then carry on with your plans. At times you are called, perhaps, to go into this a little bit deeper with fasting or with some sacrificial offering of some sort. But let him guide you in that. Don't try and do it yourself because all you will do is fail and become a little more disillusioned. And if you do go to God and say, show me things that I need to change in my heart and things I need to change in my life, and you, he answers you, you are wise to take counsel on it. Because often... I don't, know, oh, I don't know how many times over the years have, you know, people have come to me and said, oh, you know, I, I, I was, God said this to me, God said that to me, and it's Looney Tune stuff, some of it. Right? Absolutely crazy. But they have heard a voice. And that's dead right. You'll hear voices if you're trying to listen. Unless you know your Saviour well, you'll take any voice as His. And so... If you hear God speak to you, it is wise to take counsel with someone that you trust and respect as a balanced Christian. 
before you go ahead and take an action. Um, go, you know, years ago, owned a service station. He said to me, he's a Christian, lovely guy, said to me, a couple of other guys I knew, non-Christians, are always mocking it. And they said, oh, you know what he said, said to us? He could go and fill his petrol tanks with water and God could change it to petrol, the big t- underground tanks. And of course, well, the obvious question they asked was, well, go on then, why don't you? And that's where the conversation ended. You know, and it's this type of foolishness, you know, of, of spouting stuff that's not God. And so you can hear something and go and spout it. You know, he may have been convinced that God told him, I could do this. Well, is this true? God could do that. But then to go and say something like that to the unsaved is just mad stuff. If God wanted to change water to petrol, he could. Not a problem for him. I can't see any circumstances where he's going to do that, but then again, maybe he'd just like to prove me wrong. <laughs> God can do whatever he likes, but we have to be careful what we are promoting as what he has put in our lives for us to do. Go by the scriptures. Stick to those. And if God tells you to do something supernatural, quietly go around and do it. But if he tells you to, um, if you've been praying for you know, guidance or that, and he says, I want you to sell your house, give your money to the Mormons, I would check that out. All right? I don't think he's going to do that. He, and, and if he sells your house and give it to the church, Check that out very carefully because yeah, God doesn't need your money. He needs, maybe he is, maybe he's seeing if you're willing to do that. But you do need to take counsel when you're making these big decisions that you have heard from God because you don't need to be hearing the trumpet voice from on high to make your decisions. He has given us his word which will guide us, sufficient to guide us through the day to our decisions. And if, you, if you're going to make a decision, so you're deciding whether or not you're going to sell your house. Lord, I would like to sell my house and go move to Taufo. And so, if that is your will, then make it happen, please. And if not, don't let it happen. Then you have a security. Give it over to God. Now, he may give you your heart's desire. He may not. Because that heart's desire, because... You sell your house, move to Taupo, and then the Ruapehu erupts and your house, new house just disappears into the ground. Right? And he knew that. So the no may be to protect you from that. Give it over to God and you don't have to worry about hearing the trumpet voice from high. Just let him guide your life. And as we often have found, that voice is often very small and very still, a wonderful feeling of fear somewhere. But check things out. So, how does God's view of us differ from our own? Romans 8, verses 14 to 17. Just three, four scriptures about this to finish with. Romans 8, verses 14 to 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery again to fear, but you received a spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. 
the Spirit himself witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children also heirs, truly heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer together, that we may also be glorified together. Children of God, why would you be dissatisfied with your lot? Why would you compare yourself to a non-Christian? Why would you compare yourself to another Christian? You're a child of God that he has made an heir to Christ's inheritance. What on this world can compare with that? Titus chapter 3, Titus 3 verses 4 to 7. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour towards man appeared, not by works and righteousness which we had done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, that being justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Regenerated, renewed and justified. That's what you are. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2 verses 12 to 16 and there is a little requirement here as well that is guiding us in our Christian life. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, cultivate your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, so that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Among these you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, so that I may rejoice with you in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain nor laboured in vain. Among these you shine as lights in the world. A light, if you're a light in the world, you are not going to be very illuminating to the unsaved if you are moaning and murmuring and complaining about your lot in life. We supposedly should be the most joyful people on earth. Not happy people. Difference. Full of the Lord's joy. The best example I've ever seen of that was a guy when Murray was the pastor here was a mate of his who was older than Murray, so that was cracking on then. And this guy was in his 70s, I think. All right. (laughs) All right, I will be in my 70s shortly. (laughs) But that's ancient. Um, (laughs) And this guy, Colin, he'd stand up here and get him out to speak. And he would be here and he would be bouncing on his toes and beaming. He was the oldest teenager I've ever seen in my life. And he just glowed with the joy of the Lord. He wasn't silly happy, laughing at everything and all that, but the joy that shone from him was the joy of the Lord which we are meant to have. There is no such thing as the misery of the Lord And unfortunately, that's what a lot of Christians seem to exhibit. It's the joy of the Lord. And it's something that we can ask him for. Lights. Shine as lights in the world. 
the last scripture, Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61 verse 10 And I will greatly rejoice in Jehovah, my soul will be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the robes of salvation, he has covered me with a robe of righteousness like a bridegroom adorns himself with ornaments, and like a bride adorns herself with her jewels. That's what you are, that's what you have been clothed in, by the sacrifice of Christ. You don't need to compare your jewels to your brothers and sisters' jewels. They're all infinitely valuable, as are you in God's sight. Be realistic about both your strengths and your shortcomings, but for both of those things, make sure you put them before Christ, because only one of those is yours. The strengths are his, the shortcomings are yours but put them both. The strength that he gives you lay back at his feet because you're a servant and all you have belongs to your master. And he will choose to, may choose to increase what you have laid at his feet tenfold or a hundredfold. That's his right as our sovereign Lord. And your shortcomings, place them there as well because he'll deal with them if you're willing. If you wish to compare yourself to anything, compare yourself to Christ and then don't beat yourself up when you see how short you fall. Because he is working on this to turn you into his likeness. He has clothed you in this wonderful salvation and righteousness and justification. Now he's working on the rest of the stuff as we surrender it to him when he brings it up in our lives. Compare yourself to Christ and then it will draw you closer to him if you have a right heart. It will drive you away from him if you are influenced by self-judgment or the judgment of others because you are entirely and totally valuable to him and he will complete the work that he begun in you. It's a pretty amazing picture that he paints. He has clothed me with the robes of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness like a bridegroom adorns himself with ornaments and like a bride adorns herself with jewels. Do you often see yourself like that? Or do you just see yourself as a non-important Christian in a little fellowship that really can't contribute much? That is a lie of the enemy. Every one of you contributes to this fellowship. Firstly, by coming along here because you are bringing your faith, you are bringing your love for the Lord along here which encourages others and you're, you are honouring the one that saved you. So you're not um, unimportant, you are not less than anyone else. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. So I pray that you will be blessed children of God and realize who you are. So Father, I ask that you would take these words and those that are yours would stay in hearts and minds. Those that are mine would find no place to live and wither and die. And from this, Lord, we will draw closer to you.